you think about locally grown food, you might think of farmers markets or farm to table restaurants, but there's now a company building these local supply chains around frozen fruit and vegetables. Frozen is so driven by quality and execution. You know, people will give you a second chance if you don't have a great experience, maybe because you're local and using family farms, but it has to be high quality. That's Seal the Seasons co-founder Alex Biasecki. But local isn't just a marketing tactic for their company. They actually partner with what they call hub farms who handle the processing of the product on farm. Producing, growing, freezing, washing, packaging, that really belongs at the farm, where it was being grown. So we actually partner with a hub farm in every region of the country. This is a great value add opportunity for these farmers who also often end up featured on the packaging of the products in grocery stores. Um, our favorite stories are when our farmers call us and say, hey, I had somebody call me and thank me for the product that they bought. I mean, that's cool. The goal is to build that connection back. Alex's story has implications not only for that important connection, but also to farm profitability, sustainability, and the way we think about the future of food systems. We really believe this distributed decentralized supply chain is how food will be done, uh, not just frozen, but everything. Alex Piasecki talks to guest co-host and farm to CPG expert Jennifer Barney on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for today's episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hammerich, and every week you and I sit down with the farmers, founders, innovators, and investors shaping the future of the ag industry. And before we dive into today's episode, I am very excited to introduce our quarterly presenting sponsor for the fourth quarter of 2022, Sound Agriculture. I'm sure many of you listening will already be familiar with Sound Ag from when we featured Adam Lytle back on the show in January, and it's a great time to talk about their source product, because just about everywhere you look, fertilizer prices have been high, and in some cases, availability has been a problem itself. So finding a better source for crop nutrients going forward, I know is on a lot of people's minds. Well, believe it or not, that nutrient source might just be your soil. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the nutrients already found in your fields, so you can apply less fertilizer while getting the yield you're counting on. Source is a foliar applied biochemistry that activates soil microbes to unlock more of that nitrogen and phosphorus. It works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use to wake up the soil, so it's kind of like caffeine for microbes. You'll want to learn more about this over at sound.ag. That's sound.ag. Thank you so much to Sound Agriculture for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. Okay, so now let's dive into today's episode with Alex Piasecki of Seal the Seasons. This story was put together by my guest co-host for today's episode, Jennifer Barney. Uh, Jennifer is back after she first co-hosted with me for the episode we did in August where she featured Tefola. But to refresh your memory, Jennifer is a consumer packaged goods or CPG expert. She lives in the Central Valley of California and got her start in the food industry 16 years ago when she founded the almond butter brand Barney Butter. She successfully grew the brand to nationwide retail distribution and then sold the company. And after exiting Barney Butter, Jennifer has since become an advisor and consultant to startups and ag leaders who want to get closer to the consumer and with their own brands and innovations. She also writes an email newsletter that I always recommend called The Business of Food, where she shares food industry knowledge, including business modeling, growth tips, and what to focus on at the early stages of business. You can subscribe to that free newsletter over at Jennifer barney.substack.com. I'll link to that in the show notes. But Jennifer, 
Thank you so much for coming back onto the Future of Agriculture podcast. Thanks for having me, Tim. Well, I love these episodes and you bring an expertise that uh, I definitely do not have, especially when it comes to like consumer packaged goods and how that whole side of the world of agriculture works. And, you know, it's so important and it drives so many decisions made on the farm. But I feel like those of us in agriculture kind of look at that world as sort of a black box that we don't know what's happening in. So your your newsletter, Business of Food, does a great job of sort of kind of bridging that gap. And um, I love these episodes that you can bring to us. So why don't you go ahead and just start off with who we're talking to today and a little bit about kind of some context on when you discovered uh, this story. Yeah, I love to talk to founders and and the founding teams of brands that are um, bringing us closer to the farm. And, and that's exactly what Seal the Seasons does. So Seal the Seasons is a retail consumer brand. Um, they're in the frozen section of the grocery store. They started out with frozen fruits. And their brand name is really aptly named because its mission is to bring locally grown produce to your grocery store 12 months out of the year. And so I spoke with co-founder and COO Alex Piasecki, um, it's just an exciting story about how they partner with their with their farmers. It is regional and local based, both at the front end from the farm to the uh, manufacturer, and then also on the downstream to the consumer. Everything is marketed in a within a local region. So you're going to hear about creating a value chain for growers. You're going to hear about a truly demand-led solution where they're taking what would be lower value or food waste, and um, they, they do actually contract with farmers for volume. Um, so it, it, it's both a farmer story and it's really a retail shaking up a, a what we call a sleepy category story in grocery. Right. So this really does cross over so many important trends, in my opinion, for the future of agriculture. Of course, farmer profitability and value added products on the farm, but also food waste and local and regional food systems and how we sort of build those less centralized, more distributed food systems in the future. I definitely think there's a lot of cool ideas here in this episode. So let's get right into it. I'm going to drop into the conversation where Alex is telling the origin story of Seal the Seasons and how this whole thing evolved into what it is today. So here it is, Jennifer's conversation with Alex Piasecki, co-founder and COO of Seal the Seasons. business was started back in uh, in college, actually, at the farmer's market in Carborough, North Carolina. There's, you know, seemed to be great enthusiasm around local food at the farmer's market, people buying it, paying a premium, getting there early. And again, farmers were also, you know, excited to be at the farmer's market, but they weren't able to sell everything that they harvested and brought for that day. Um, at the same time, you know, I was in college with Patrick Mateer, uh, my co-founder, and we were eating a lot of smoothies. And we saw that, you know, consistently, on the back of all the bags of fruit that we were buying, it was coming from other countries, uh, whether it be, you know, Vietnam, Chile, Turkey, etc. And that didn't make a whole lot of sense to us because we saw so much high quality produce being sold at the farmer's market and then also not being used at the end of the farmer's market. Um, so naturally, Seal of Seasons came together to make local available year round through the frozen aisle and uh, really, you know, focused on fruit primarily. We built into doing frozen vegetables as well. Um, we found that, you know, we're able to keep a really high quality local product and great transparency back to the grower that you buy it from 
kind of creating as close to a farmer's market in your freezer as we can, you know, in different grocery stores. So, you know, when you buy one of our products, you're buying from the family farm that's on there with their illustration and they actually sign every package as well. So really, you know, again, it's not about us, uh, Alex, Patrick, anyone at Seal Zins is about your connection directly back to the farm, which, you know, we found was really missing in Frozen. And you know what, that's what really stands out to me is when you look at the package, I mean, it's so disruptive for something in Frozen to be that transparent. You literally have an illustration of the farmer on the front of your package. So this seems like something very unique and different, pretty much for all of anything in retail, but particularly for Frozen. Can you talk a little bit about your supply chain and... How does it work and, and how challenging is that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's uh, it's definitely more complex than how most food companies operate with their food supply chain, especially one that, you know, again, you know, the smaller emerging brand scale, very unique to kind of have this complex of a supply chain. Most people are very focused on sales, marketing, brand, which we also are very focused on, but we really believe that our supply chain actually empowers a lot of that, especially in produce. You know, the quality, and where it's coming from, it matters so much to the brand, more so than any specific consumer marketing, social media posting, what have you. So, you know, how it really works is, you know, we actually did the manufacturing and the freezing ourselves for a while. It was a disaster. We were really, really bad at it. I don't think it's too much of an unusual story to hear people going through it. But as college students, we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, we had a limited capacity in our ability to freeze and package in the shared kitchen facility we were in, in Hillsborough, North Carolina. And quickly found out that, you know, again, our limitation was our ability to produce, but we saw the product selling well at the co-ops. And, uh, you know, eventually like Harris Teeterbrook came on and we knew we needed more help to produce because we weren't going to be able to meet that scale and that quality out of the kitchen because we were just hiring people for Craigslist. It was a big old disaster. So, you know, what we actually ended up doing is creating a new model for how our supply chain would work. And it's very intuitive. You know, we were really good at sales and marketing. We will be the sales and marketer of Seal of Seasons. But producing, growing, freezing, washing, packaging, that really belonged at the farm, at where it was being grown. Um, so we actually partnered with a hub farm in every region of the country. And they kind of act as the hub to smaller farms that bring their blueberries, strawberries, peaches, cherries, uh, you know, depending on where you are in the country. And they all for that entire region, whether you'd be in you know, the Northwest in Oregon, Washington, California, you have a different hub farm where those smaller farmers are bringing their produce to get washed, frozen, and ultimately packaged into packages to be sold at the grocery store. So, you know, it ends up being we break up the country in about six to 10 different regions. And we have hub farms at each one of those regions. And they have unique UPCs and unique SKUs for every part of the country. And that's definitely more complicated. but. We really do think the future of food from 50 years from now is not going to be the supply chain we have today. You know, people have problems with it. You know, baby formula is a really big example. You have one plant go down, they have a whole portion of the country that are wiped out. We really believe this distributed decentralized supply chain is how food will be done, uh, not just frozen, but everything. So, you know, we're really excited to be at the forefront of that, you know, being a brand that's utilizing that, owning that infrastructure, because I think that's going to make a big difference in the future. So you're hitting on a number of really key, important trends. Um, you're hitting on local. Um, you mentioned food safety. And you're hitting on kind of tied with local. I'm going to call it reduced emissions, right? Keeping 
the carbon footprint down because you're only transporting product to and from both on the downstream and on the upstream, you're keeping it within a certain geography. So tell me in order of priority, and maybe this has evolved since your your founding, what have you found of those three unique benefits is the primary one? Yeah, yeah. Just taking it from a consumer experience. I think the consumer first looks at the package and is intrigued because of it's different. We did this when we were doing our rebrand. We look at every single package. What was the first priority, second priority item that they were trying to communicate? And everyone was just had blueberry really big or strawberry really big. And I think consumers get it. They're shopping for frozen fruit. What we wanted to do is make put a human at the front of it, the state at the front of it. The, you know, again, really back to the farm. So for us, we think local is a really good dog whistle for quality. And it's a real differentiating factor for us on shelf. So we think that initial pickup is probably due to local. So priority is always going to be local family farm. You know, from there, it's all quality. Frozen is so driven by quality and execution. It's the only space I have any experience in. But, you know, people will give you a second chance if you don't have a great experience, maybe because you're local and using family farms. But it has to be high quality. So for us, it's, uh, you know, again, that food safety, high quality, sweeter, high bricks. That's second most important. Internally, it's the most important thing we focus on. And then, you know, third of all, you know, the impact we're having. We're really excited to release our first impact report. We've designed it after looking at uh, Patagonia, Amy's Kitchen, Dr. Bronner's. We've looked at a few different brands on how they design or how they report out on what they, you know, the impact they're making on the world. And, you know, we see our impact being a few different ways. One is, you know, in climate change. We did a life cycle analysis of our strawberry product versus a strawberry product from another country. You know, I think food miles is a component of it. There's, you know, a lot of debate on, you know, whether food miles really moves the needle one way or another. What actually really does move the needle is if you're working with family farms in the United States, their source of energy is typically a much cleaner source of energy than you would get in a different country. So especially countries such as Chile, Argentina, um, Vietnam, typically going to be operating on fossil fuel. Versus, you know, you'll have a more of a blended energy source from uh, using uh, alternatives or renewables in the United States. So that's actually really where that real climate and CO2 emissions really get offset is in the actual energy used and how we, our infrastructure is different in the U.S. So again, that's that's kind of third of all. That's kind of after the quality is delivered. People really get invested in the brand and understanding, hey, every bag I buy is offsetting X amount of CO2. And that's when people really get excited about it. That's part of their routine and they feel like they're doing something good for the world. That's so exciting to hear because I think that's a really important message for the farmer. I think that farmers have an incredible amount of pressure to um, continually report out sustainability you know, measurements. And the question on the farmer side is if they need to make an investment or if they need to you know, hire on more team members in order to keep up with whatever it might be regulatory or the demands of their suppliers or or rather their their vendors, are they going to see a return? Is there going to be demand for their product or is it just going to be driven on price and then you have to compete with overseas? So tell me a little bit about how you approach your farmer partners in that conversation. And is there a premium being kind of brought back to the farm? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a really good question. And this has changed over the years. I mean, some of the initial people we work with, 
or people we you know drove out. I, I did a camping trip through Western Michigan to meet different farmers to try to figure out who the best blueberry, strawberry, blackberry, cherry suppliers would be for us. You know, our pitch really is simple. We position it as, hey, we want you to win and sell as much as you can to the fresh market as possible. We can get that best price possible. But you will either have a glut, the overall commodity price will come down. This happens a lot with strawberries, especially in the East Coast. When Mexican strawberries and South American strawberries come online due to the season, you'll see a lot of uh, you know prices start to go down significantly, the point where people aren't buying North Carolina, Florida, you know, New York, even Oregon strawberries anymore. It's all about the cheapest price. And that drives commodities quite a bit. What we offer is, you know, hey, we lock in a certain amount of volume at a certain price at the beginning of the season, and we commit to buying that through the season. And that's really just holding up our end of the bargain is, is a big deal. People can bank on that revenue. It's kind of like an insurance against the market, insurance against the poor crop, etc. And I think where we pay more competitively than most frozen brands do, because we don't look for the cheapest commodity in frozen. We typically are looking for quality. We're looking for long-term partnerships. We're looking for farmers who believe in the same things we want to change and, and believe in the mission of Seal Seasons and being a part of the you know transparency of where food comes from and bringing that to the frozen section of the grocery store. So it ends up being you know usually maybe 10 to 20% of what they harvest. Sometimes it could be more, sometimes it'd be less. It's really about making it work for them. You know, we have a certain amount of, of product, strawberries from California, certain amount of blueberries from California we need to buy, and we're transparent what we need at what kind of roughly the price we can pay. And some folks can do it in a season, some folks can't. You know, it's really, you know, just trying to manage it season to season is a full-time job. That's what our supply chain and farm team does. Yeah, and again, just to remind our listeners, this isn't just a supply local product. This is also a demand local product. In other words, you're not shipping excess inventory to other markets around the country. You're keeping the sales local and regional. Yes. Yeah. That's for our core product lines. It's all local or regional, what have you. You know, generally those products won't get shipped outside the state they're in. So Uh, even if a consumer goes to your website, because you do have an e-commerce store on your website, they're forced to choose the state that they live in. And then only those products that are produced in the state are available for sale. Yep, correct. Yeah, so like we can design on the back end to change the experience on the website based on where you're from. We want it to be local to wherever you are. I'm here in North Carolina right now, but it doesn't mean that you know someone who's in, in Oregon, in Portland, or in Seattle who logs in they're going to see their products, not the products I see from where I am sitting here. But again, I think it is kind of the way things will be done. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to ship it from, you know, the East Coast to the West Coast. It just makes more sense to ship it from where it's closer to for price, for, for a variety of different reasons. So it's it's hard. There are always problems. There's always challenges. But, you know, we do believe that this vision for a different food system, a different food supply chain is based around doing things in smaller batches, doing things in a distributed way, not just trying to optimize huge runs for lower costs. We think that that works here and there. But if you're a brand who needs to do things at a premium, this is the way to go. And you mentioned you're in six markets, so you're not national coast to coast. What, which markets are you in? Yeah, so regionally we're in um, you know, California, the Southwest, so like Arizona. The Northwest, which is, you know, Oregon, Washington, Midwest, which is like Michigan, Illinois, 
Wisconsin, Indiana, um, Missouri. Then the Northeast is kind of anywhere from Maine through Pennsylvania, basically. Our Carolinas region is where we started. So North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia. And then we have like the South, which is like Florida, Georgia, uh, Alabama, and Mississippi. So we kind of have different products and supply chains for all those markets. The two big ones we're missing is kind of like if you draw a line in the middle of the country, kind of Texas through the Dakotas, we're kind of missing that region right now. And Colorado's Rocky Mountain is another one we're missing right now. So, you know, we acknowledge that we aren't able to supply those markets with any product on the demand side. So, you know, we're working on products that will hopefully be able to fill that need. Awesome. So I'd love to learn a little bit about kind of your growth trajectory as a business. You guys, I believe, launched in 2016. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I think we our first major revenue was in 2016. Okay. So, yeah. Tell us a little bit about the growth path that you're on. You know, what numbers are you looking to hit? How do you see doing that? Is it just increasing distribution? Is it creating more offerings? And, you know, are you on track with your goals? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, every year, the we kind of have to reset those goals, right? Uh, you know, we have strategic plans for the next two or three years, but if I've been taught anything over the last, you know, three years is like, you have to just prepare for a new normal all the time. There's always something, whether it's pandemic, recession, you name it, there's always something that's going to throw a rest of your plans. So uh, it's really about making sure you just have the right direction, trajectory and strategy in place to kind of weather those storms. We're really focused on deep, not wide. We want to work with the best retail partners and make sure they have as many seal season products as, as makes sense. And then just try to get more mind share, market share in those grocers. We also look for specific distribution gains. We'd love a few more retailers here and there. But, you know, we're mostly focused on velocities. Uh, we know the distribution comes if you have retail accounts that are working well and people are coming in and you are category captain, which we have now kind of gotten to in a few different retailers, you know, for the brand, you know, if we can be category captain in a few different places, we can bring that to success other places as well. That's super impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not a guarantee. Every retailer is very different. They have different private label offerings. They have different branding, margins, you name it. Frozen's challenging that way. But, you know, it's one that favors detailed execution and, and really precision. You know, we're looking to grow the business though. We, we think we can grow probably 50 to 60% year over year with that strategy. I think fruit is always going to be the main source of our revenue. Um, we have vegetables, which I think will be a, a portion of it, but won't be as much as fruit. Just, you know, we're much stronger brand in frozen fruit right now than we have in fed the vegetable. And then finally, you know, we're looking at value added products in frozen. It's now the frozen fruit set is now broken up into basically frozen fruit and smoothie forward items, which wasn't the case two years ago. It's great to see more shelf space allocated to produce forward items. So now we're launching in the next couple months here smoothie kits that are going to have you know some value added items in the fruit blends to make it even easier to make a smoothie. Because you know, through consumer focus groups, we found that people who know how to use fruit, frozen fruit, buy frozen fruit. But there's a lot of people that through the pandemic started eating breakfast at home. And some of them have less of an idea of how to make a good smoothie that they used to buy at a Jamba Juice or the juice shop looked down the street. So we think that there's a really good opportunity to kind of bring really high quality, you know, smoothie kits that will make that smoothie process that much easier and still at a value that makes sense that you're buying out of the grocery store. So that makes me wonder who finds you guys threatening? Who are the competitors who are starting to worry? 
I, I always kind of play down the competition as I do think like ultimately this is a category where the best product should win, the best quality product should win. Um, you know, our major competition is usually store brand, private label, Wyman's and Dole. And then there's a few other brands on top of that. Uh, I think we're the sixth largest frozen fruit brand. I think brands like Earthbound uh, Farms, you know, I think brands like Cascading Farms have lost a lot of market share, uh, not specifically just to us, but to others. So I think they're probably in a position where they pick up a piece and try to figure out what their strategy is. But, you know, for us, I don't, I don't again, I don't really single out any particular competition that should be worried. I mean, I, we, we're focused on something very different. Nobody else is really doing anything local and trying to build that supply chain. So, you know, we think that frozen fruit brands, hopefully they'll try to emulate. We would love to see folks try to do that. Just, uh, again, try to create more local offerings across the grocery store. And we feel pretty strongly that our brand, uh, you know, will succeed uh, either way. Yeah. When I hear you talk about the quality and the bricks that you're concerned about, it makes me think, you know, maybe you're bringing in consumers into the category that don't typically buy frozen. I mean, you mentioned people who during COVID, you know, started to make fruit smoothies at home versus going and buying them at Jamba Juice. You know, now that's bringing new dollars into the category. Do you guys talk that way when you're approaching retail buyers? Are, are you saying, hey, look, you know, you can actually increase facings because we're going to bring in new consumers? Yeah, I think we, we just try to appeal to folks who wouldn't just be shopping at Frozen. We're starting to do varietals. So we're doing specific varieties of fruit in the frozen section, which again, we take a lot of inspiration from apples. Apples have so many varieties dedicated. They have so much information about them in the produce section, like the cosmic crisp, the honey crisp. You know, people are looking for that specific variety. There's a lot of ways to maybe play up that in frozen. So we're doing Ruby June strawberries, is a variety of strawberries that was about double on a bricks count as sweet as the other strawberries we're working with. So we're starting to roll that out um, state by state. And even blueberries, we're looking to, you know, roll out specific blueberries from Oregon that, you know, we find that are really high quality and that people really enjoy. So, yeah, I mean, I think ultimately we're, we're trying to get the folks who love produce and love buying, you know, high quality produce for whether it be smoothies, pies, you know, or just eating, you know, straight. We're trying to find people who are really care about food and care about, their connection and impact on the food system. So I think that ends up dragging in new consumers. I also think it ends up leveling up consumers from maybe a lower brand because they just didn't know anything better ever existed. Because, you know, again, frozen fruit has typically been a pretty sleepy category. It's an overused term, I think, in consumer products, uh, CPG overall, but it's really sleepy. I mean, it literally like the same brands have been around for decades and decades. And we just think this is a, a new take on the category. And, you know, I think anyone bringing any level of intentionality will be successful. Absolutely. Anytime that you can offer something to the premium natural consumer, you know, maybe in a place they wouldn't normally expect to find higher value with more benefits, that's an opportunity right there because they're in the aisle, right? They're in the category. You've just given them a reason to kind of up their game and it helps the category with the retailer that you're talking to. And it all trickles back down to better margins for you guys and then back to the farm. So kind of getting back to the farmer conversation, can you give us a little bit of insight as to maybe what types of produce you are guys are looking to bring on, maybe even specifically in what regions, what kind of partners you're looking for? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're pretty 
that right now with our, our current supply chain, you know, we've done a lot of work. It hasn't always been that, that way. You know, that said, we're always open to listening to folks who are growing, you know, really interesting varieties of fruit, whether it be, you know, cherries, blueberries, um, peaches, strawberries. Uh, so, you know, we're always open to a conversation. It's, it's one of those things where most of the farms and processors and, uh, you know, hub farms we work with, we talked to them 18 months before we ever even started actually working together formally. And it, it's a lot of times it just takes time for that idea to cauterize us to think about it in a certain retailer meeting, someone, you know, ask about a certain, you know, regional item. I think it's, it's, it's one of those things that it's hard to really say what we're looking for at all times because it changes a lot. But yeah, anyone who's growing interesting varieties of fruit, we're always interested in. We're starting to look at like specialty items like pawpaws, um, you know, really, you know, native fruits to the country, to the region. So people who are growing interesting fruits like pawpaws, we're always interested in having those conversations too. Again, just trying to think of new things that might be cool to, to preserve. That's kind of what we're always thinking about. And from a farmer's perspective, if they want to get into a business that maybe is new to them or maybe it's a new varietal, like you said. And I think just having like just even preliminary conversation to say like, hey, like, you know, this is what works for us for a strawberry or for sweet corn just to get some round numbers around it, I think is so helpful for fertilizers, costs have increased. I, I know that you guys also have two lines. You have an organic line and you have a conventional line with some of your items. So input costs or the lack thereof, so maybe higher labor cost, that all factors into if we have a good season and weather patterns and everything, are we going to have enough wiggle room here to where you know we can hit the price point that Seal the Seasons needs? Yeah, I think mean, you're, you're totally right. And the and, and again, sometimes the farm might end up, you know, maybe not, you know, we contract at $1.65. Maybe it comes in at maybe $1.63 was probably more the fair price. And sometimes we'll win. But a lot of times, you know, the market will, will go down and our contract price will be a favorable price for the farm at that rate. So the best we can do is be really transparent about what we're going to do and what price we're going to pay for it. And, um, you know, we find that that goes a long way in farming. Uh, it's not about necessarily trying to say, hey, I'm going to buy 20 truckloads from you every year and I'm going to buy another 20 on top of that because we're going to be growing so quickly. I just like to be more realistic about like, hey, like for your farm, what do you want to get into? Like, and is that aligned with what we want to get into? Because if it doesn't, this probably won't work. If one of us is making a sacrifice, we're not going to want to do this one year. There's going to be a year where we're just not going to feel like doing it. But if we're both kind of on the journey together, then it's great. Then, then it's something that, you know, we can be okay winning one year, losing the other, because we know that you and I are going to keep doing this for as long as we can do it to build markets. The unit economics is super important. And it's trying to understand, like, you know, is this a priority for my farm for the next five years or not? If you just want to dabble in it, it's probably not for us, because typically dabbling means your unit economics are going to be really high. And that's fine. You know, again, that's it's just a, a matter of a fact uh, for the most part when it comes to agriculture is the smaller it is, typically, you know, the co more costly it is. And we just at some point need to get to a scale where we can kind of assume some of those costs down. So tell us what some recent wins have been out in retail. Like, I think I heard you guys recently landed um, a major retailer or some, something exciting recently happened. I mean, 
we're starting to wrap up uh, 2022 harvest for everything, uh, for, for most fruits. So that's exciting just to have survived uh, and gotten, I think, most of what we need. From the retailer end, you know, I think we, we recently uh, launched frozen vegetables into Oregon, uh, Safeway Albertsons, Oregon, Portland area. So that's really exciting. We have, you know, three items there that are all in a kind of a, a bag and bag format where it's, uh, you know, four eight ounce female bags in a larger master bag. Again, really focused on value and convenience, which is very, very, very top of mind for the frozen vegetable consumer. You know, for on the other end, you know, we, we have uh, these new smoothie kits are rolling out and they'll roll out in about 750 stores uh, next month or so. Um, mostly going to be on the East Coast. Uh, Wegmans is taking a number of them. Giant is taking a number of them. Harris Teeter, which is a Kroger company, uh, is taking a number of them. So, yeah, exciting stuff, really. For us, it's just it's so cool to see it all kind of come together and see more more family farm fruit go into more steel the seasons bags and uh, and more people connecting with the story and connecting with our farm. Um, our favorite stories are when our farmers call us and say, "Hey." I had somebody call me and thank me for the product that they bought at uh, X and Y Z store, and that's just—I mean—that's cool. The goal is to build that connection back, um, and so when that actually comes full circle, it's a pretty cool story for us. That is awesome. That's so great to hear. So, congratulations on all your success. Love what you're doing. We wish you the best. What's the best way to connect with you guys? You have like a inquiry page on your website or um, what's the best way if, if anybody is, is interested in, in asking you questions? Yeah. I mean, the best way to get in touch with me um, or people on our team is uh, either through my email, which is alex at sealtheseasons.com. You can find it on our website or our, we have a general, you know, consumer, um, you know, general inquiry email, hello at sealtheseasons.com. I would try both. Usually, usually one of them will get through the right person, but yeah, no, I definitely, definitely reach out. And uh, again, it's, I'm always happy to have conversations. Like I really can't promise we're always in the boat of committing to things right away, but it's one of those things that once we kind of talk through it and you, you have a nugget in your head and I have a nugget in my head, um, sometimes things can work out in a year or so. You never really know. And I'm always, you know, willing to kind of give my two cents on the frozen market and how uh, either the crop you're producing is going to perform, or even if you're a consumer products brand and you're interested in using different types of fruit, I'm always open for a conversation. All right. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much to Alex Piasecki from Seal the Seasons. Uh, go learn more about them on their website. It's just Seal the Seasons. Dot com. Really do appreciate Jennifer Barney and uh, her ability to navigate these conversations from the expertise she brings to the table and to bring these stories to to us. So thank you very much, Jennifer. And I wonder, Jennifer, before we let you go for the day, what, what are going to be your big takeaways from this episode with Alex? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think this is a really easy idea to wrap your head around, right? Frozen food. Um, I remember an ad campaign a number of years ago called Frozen is Nature's Pause Button, and it was really about promoting the idea that freezing preserves freshness and nutrient density. And I think consumers are really starting to wake up to that I idea that, you know, um, nutrient density is such an important uh, aspect of nutrition and health. 
And, and, you know, the frozen aisle is a place where you don't normally think of to go for getting highly nutritious food. But I think this brand is really bringing that awareness. Um, yeah, a couple uh, things that I really got excited about. Number one, it's real market access for growers, right? Um, Alex explained that connecting growers to processors to get the new opportunity going is part of their operation. And it has to be realistic from an economic standpoint. Their goal is to make a sale and develop a long-lasting relationship. And then lastly, yeah, I think just a marker of success for this company is the size of the addressable market. We heard Alex say that it's not just for the premium consumer, that it's for people who live both in rural areas and urban areas. And he kind of postulates that that's because in some of these rural communities, they, the, the local consumer really does enjoy getting locally sourced frozen food. It resonates with them that, hey, this comes from a farm that's just down the street, maybe somebody that I know. Yeah, I love it. And I have a life hack for everybody, something that I really have been loving lately, which is frozen blueberries, real dairy whipped cream, and tefola on the top. It is really good, really good. It's been like my daily snack. Now I need to go buy more tefola. Love the love the plug for the for the Tefola. It's awesome. We can always just mash all of these products together, right? And and they are great snacks and great healthy meals. Absolutely. All right. Well, fantastic episode. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for contributing, for hosting, and for bringing this story to us. And for those of you listening, thanks so much for your time and your attention. We'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Mm-hmm.